Uh, yes. <laughs> okay, Dave, as you're, um, as you're yeah. editing this, Dave, as you're editing this, cut out, cut this yes. part out. Yes, thank you. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I'm Adam Avermescu, and I'm actually here with a special guest today, Matt Mulholland. Matt, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Well, joining me, Dave's not here today. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. I am a customer education manager at Miro, and yeah. (laughs) All right, awesome. And we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper into your journey um, as well in a moment, but I would be remiss if I did not point out that today is National Cheeseburger Day. So awesome. are Are you craving a cheeseburger yet? Um, maybe I could go for an in and out cheeseburger right about now, I'd say. Maybe it's a little early, but I think we could pull it off. It is. We're recording in the morning for uh, for our listeners, and Matt's already ready for some in and out. Um, <laughs> I lived in Texas for twenty years, so uh, I think I would take Whataburger over In and Out. But uh-huh. uh, I live in California now, so maybe I should change my tune. That's the classic comparison, making the 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 comparison between those two. Everyone has to be obsessed with their uh, their local regional burger chain but yep. wherever you are um wherever you're listening to this if you eat cheeseburgers uh, i recommend that you en- enjoy one um if you don't eat uh cheeseburgers for whatever reason please eat your uh cheeseburger equivalent <laughs> <laughs> all right so um cool matt i'm so happy that you could join us today and before we um, dive in too deeply i was hoping maybe you could tell our audience a little bit about your role at Miro doing customer education and um, kind of how you got there from from the world of customer success. Yeah, so I started out, this is my second startup. My previous startup no longer is around, but I did customer success for them as well. And I actually started using Miro back then. Um, it was called Real-Time Board yeah. at the time. And and what what and is Miro, Matt? Miro is... Uh, more than a whiteboard, more than an online whiteboard. Um, It gives you an infinite canvas. You can have templates to do things like design thinking, sticky notes, ideation, agile methodologies. There's tons of different things that you can do with it. But essentially, the core base of the product is that it's an online whiteboard plus a lot more and allows you to uh, collaborate really, really heavily all in real time with your colleagues and external people. It's a really powerful tool, and it's probably the main reason why I, I joined this company as a customer success manager. And we were building out the customer success program. And so along the way, we were designing what our CS program was going to look like. And there was a lot of uh, finagling and putting things together, lots of janky spreadsheets and things like that. But we hacked it together, and it's two years later. Um, I think maybe like a year ago, I guess, Stephen, who's the head of customer success at, at Miro, started talking about this thing called customer education. Probably you guys maybe spoke about it a couple of times. I know that you know each other. Yeah, and uh, Stephen and I are, we, we go way back at this point. 
Yeah. Steven um, used to be my colleague and, at Optimizely, so. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we talk, we talk about customer education for sure. Yeah. And, well, I had, as being one of the initial CSMs, I had created a lot of content originally. And so just to help scale my work, because I tend to be lazy when it comes to things, like doing things over and over again, like lazy in a good way. So I create a bunch of things and to help scale my work, other people started using them. And so it became natural to take on this new role where moving from a CSM to try to help scale my CSM colleagues by becoming and starting this customer education, uh, customer education program. So, so for you, it sounded like the, the journey from CSM to customer education really came down to taking all of your product expertise and really trying to figure out how to scale it out to, to more of your customer base. Yeah, Miro is interesting because sort of like Slack, it's a product that's driven by end user adoption. If people aren't using, it doesn't matter if the executives love it, if people aren't using it, then it's not providing value. So. Uh, as customer success managers at a tool like that, it's all about end user adoption and at scale. So you're dealing with trying to get people to change the way they work, you know, hundreds of people to change the way they work. And so we quickly are running into scaling problems in our CS and in our CS team. And customer education is the one of the main ways that we're hoping to resolve that and um, be able to impact and, and help more people at scale. And is that the primary audience that you're educating? Is it that end user base? Or are you also spending a lot of time with admins or other roles? Uh, We have developed resources already for the core admins of our enterprise product as well. And we'll probably move on to more of that intermediate admin. It's called a team admin in Miro. But at this point, it's really about, there's kind of the way that we're approaching customer education is that, that there's two kind of pillars. One is the academy, which is going to be available to everyone. Eventually, um, there's going to be lots of content to um, just teach people how to use the tool and how to apply it to different situations. But then the other pillar is trying to directly scale customer success. And that might be things like more like customer success enablement resources, like maybe a train the trainer program to enable them to teach others how to train others in Miro. That's something that we're also taking on as well. So that's kind of the two different approaches and we're trying to do them a little bit simultaneously. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to dig into that with you. And I also have to say, you know, kudos for getting these programs started early. I think that you know, the, the journey that, that you've been on is one that probably a lot of our listeners and a lot of people that I, I meet in the field are on today where they yeah. may have started to figure out some customer success processes and, and maybe they are CSMs themselves, but they're just starting to think about how do I scale this? How do I turn this into something that is uh, more effective from an educational perspective? And I am a big advocate of saying, you know, the, the earlier you start, the easier it's going to be for you to build something in, in the longer yeah. term. So um, I'm really glad to hear that, that you're doing that. And now, so for our listeners, if you, uh, if you downloaded this episode or if you're streaming it, um, you probably saw that it has a title that's something like why most training content is boring. And I'm really excited to, to talk with you um, on that topic because um, 
One of the reasons we're talking today, Matt, is because you posted a video online about this. And uh, maybe maybe we could even just link it in the uh, the episode description as well. But <laughs> I'd like to walk through, uh, as our hypothesis today, your theory on why most training content is boring. Yeah, so it all starts with just as I started getting into this whole industry, I started going to lots of different academies and seeing how they were doing things. And I quickly became pretty <laughs> unamused. Like, <laughs> there, like there's a lot of companies that are doing it really, really well. There's Asana, there's Optimizely, um, that, and tons of other ones that are doing it really, really well. But there's a lot of content out there that I personally, if I was using the tool, I would be bored and I would quit and I would not complete it. So I started thinking about it and I started thinking about as I was designing my own vision for what customer education or the Miro Academy could be, um, I started coming up with this theory and one of the things that I saw in some of these academies was this distribution of content basically based off of how hard the thing was. So they were broken up into like basic, intermediate and advanced sort of style. They might be called something different. It might be a little more finessed, but essentially that's the way it was broken up. Yeah, because and you want to be able to set your learner's expectations about, you know, what, what level am I jumping in at and how do I know whether I'm a beginner or intermediate or advanced? Yeah, and if you think about the content that exists, like the content that you could possibly create that, in other words, like all of the things that you could possibly teach somebody about your tool, I think the amount of, based off of those categories would be, in basic, you have a good amount of content in intermediate, there's a lot. And in advanced, there's like a solid amount. So you have like a, that you have something like a bell curve where in most of the content that you could possibly produce revolves around intermediate topics from a software. And what yeah. I mean is like for basics, there's things like the initial tools, there's the concepts that you want to teach, um, things like that. But for intermediate, there's a lot of content in there because there's all the second level features and there's also a lot of exceptions in there. So this is when CSMs usually shine because anybody can learn the basics of the tool, but in intermediate, you're dealing with features that maybe you don't discover right away. You're also, there's features in there that are not applicable to everyone. And there's also those like tricks that the CSMs learn because they've, they've heard confusion, confusion around certain topics. And so there's lots of, oh, well, if you're applying it towards this problem, then you're gonna do this and this and this. And so there's a lot of possible things to know that's sort of in that intermediate difficulty range. Yeah, so you, you kind of end up with lots of basic um, because there's, there's a lot to learn when you're first coming onto the product and, and then lots of that intermediate where you're really getting into those second and third level features and exceptions and, oh, this works this way, except in this case when it actually works this way. And I think a lot of that is probably yeah. because as companies are putting together their academies or putting together their content, they're, they're just trying to take as much information out of their knowledgeable CSMs and technical architects and um, you know whoever, yes. whoever else is contributing. So why, why Matt, why does this end up creating boring training? 
So if we focus in on the boat, on the, the basic courses, there's two approaches that if you, if you, that I think, that I think result in this. The first is that as a CSM, like we want to know everything there is to know about the product. And so when we go to teach somebody, we're going to think that we need to give them a holistic understanding of all the basic features. An example of this is like a tour of the interface in terms of showing every single button. That's every single basic button. You go through and you hover over and you explain what that button does. And although that's valuable because you want them to know where everything is and you want them to know how to navigate the tool, at the end of the day, you're not enabling them to get their initial jobs done, which is the, which is the correct understanding of basic course, in my opinion. Basic should not cover all of the possible content that's categorized as maybe easy, but it should cover the initial jobs that your users are trying to do. That's why it's basic, not because necessarily the ideas or the concepts that you're explaining are easy to understand. Yeah, so it's not, um, from your perspective, cover all of the nav because the nav is fundamental and the nav is easy. Um, and because if we don't teach them all of the nav, they're not going to be able to navigate around the product. It's, it's uh, show me a few of the basic things that I should be doing, um, not even necessarily in the nav, but just with the product and, and let people discover those based on that. Is that, is that right? Yes, I think basic courses should be not, they should be getting started always, almost always. Yeah. Like what are the initial jobs your users are gonna be wanting to accomplish? Teach them those things and the rest is, is gonna come. And this might, so a caveat is that this doesn't apply to all, all. like segment, for example, or Optimizely, they have good academies but their basics is more holistic because a user doesn't need to just know how to use the software. They also need to understand the ideolo ideology behind data and creating proper tests and things like that. So in those cases, like you might end up with long basics courses because there's a lot of information that you need to know in order to get started. But for yeah. a tool, yeah. Like but one, tool one like, thing I you know, like about your ahead. theory there is though, is you're, you're not necessarily talking about just a, a pure amount of time, although I think you do give some, some suggestions. Um, you're, you're also thinking about it just in terms of, of proportion, right? So of all the content that I could be talking about, I'm gonna spend proportionally this much time in the basics and proportionally this much time in intermediate and proportionally this much time in, in advance. And so, you know, for, for a product like Optimizely, for instance, you know, when we were creating um, some of the initial training content for, for Optimizely, yeah, we wanted to make sure that we spent a little bit of time in um, the nav and a little bit of time showing you the basic features, but that we, we also spent time on, on mindset. But even that was still a relatively small cut of all the things you could do with the product. We weren't getting to those second and third level features. Yeah, I think... It's just key to make it easy because the best, the best teacher of the product is just the product. So if you have a getting started course where you're spending, I mean, I think 30 minutes is long. It depends on the product, but for a tool like Miro, like we want them, if they're taking the getting started course, our goal is to get them that wow feature, that wow moment to experience the value of the product as soon as possible, not have them bogged down in lessons 
where if it's so much content, they're like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to get to the tool now because I'm so bored and I have a meeting now and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, you're not really getting them to that moment of of value. And especially with end users, I think you're right to say that that a lot of the time they don't want to spend time learning about the product before they see the value in the product, before they've gotten that wow or or aha moment about, oh, yeah, this is this is actually going to help me get my job done. So I I like your emphasis there on jobs to be done. I'm curious what you might say, because, you know, I, I think this happens to a lot of us, you know, uh, a client comes in and says, oh, well, I want my team to be trained and you got to include these features in it. Or maybe even an executive stakeholder comes and says, oh, you need to make sure that you're including all this content. What, what would you say or, or what do you say when people kind of come at it from that perspective of, oh, in your basic training, you have to include feature X, Y and Z? I've run into that as a CSM. I don't think we I haven't gotten custom content requests from customers yet for the for the academy or for self-serve content. Um, as a CSM, the way I would handle those requests is I would cover those things, but usually as well with Miro, they would cover super basic things. They would make, make sure you cover this and this and this in, in the training. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that they don't know the product. Mm-hmm. So those lists are useful in terms of telling you what they thought was valuable. But at the end of the day, I mean, if they tell you you have to cover those things, I guess you have to. But for an for at least a live training, I would take what they said with a grain of salt and not necessarily do <laughs> what they said. Um, there's There's one other reason why the basic course might end up becoming bloated and boring. And this one, yeah, I think, is an interesting a topic, which is that um, I find that some of these basic courses teach people not just how to use your software, but how to use software in general. And what I mean is that a good example is like a search bar. So like you'll be watching the video and it'll say, this is the search bar. The search bar allows you to find all of this kinds of content if you type in a keyword, something like that to me. This isn't teaching somebody how to use your software. This is teaching somebody how to use software. And it's skippable, in my opinion. I think it's a show, don't tell situation. Yes, the search bar is valuable. But if you're dealing with somebody that needs to understand how a search bar works, I think that's only going to be a small portion of your total user base. And by teaching it, you're actually taking away from everybody else who wants to learn real value, get real value from the tool. Um, yeah, like you could model it as part of a basic use case, but you don't necessarily need to have a whole module or a whole lesson on here's what a search bar is. Or I think the example you used in your video was like, here's what a folder is, because a lot of these are just conventions for, you know, for people who use any sort of software. Yeah. I also think some of this... Um, might be related to the stage of maturity that your product is at and where um, your where your users are. Because typically, if you're a software company and you're in the early stages, a lot of your early adopters are going to be necessarily a little more tech savvy than the average. Yes. Some of this might be regional as well. Just just you know thinking about that, like there are there are definitely areas of the world where people have much more experience using software or using SaaS products, especially. And having an awareness of where your audience is, is important because as time goes on and as you start to 
either move into regions that are less tech savvy or audiences or industries that are less tech savvy, you might find yourself having to explain some concepts that you didn't need to for your earlier adopters. But I think you're spot on that, you know, when you're when you're designing your first academy for your first set of users, uh, it's really not necessary to re-educate them about, um, you know, like how a, how a software product works. I have an experiment that I want to run later on. I want, I want to see, because it's almost like there needs to be two courses, right? One for people who know what software is and one for people who really need to, it to slow down. And if you replace your getting started course with this one that slows super far down, those, the rest of that, those people are going to lose the value and they're, they're going to leave. And they're not going to even go to the other parts of your academy because they're so bored with the first part. Yeah. So I was wondering if it would be cool to, and obviously I haven't done it yet, but have the getting started course, people take it, and then they watch the first lesson. And then the next page is, it says, like, this is too, is this good for you or something like that? And it has two options. This is too much, slow it down. And then, no, this is good, let's continue. And the other one would take them to like a hidden course or something like that, Mm -hmm. that's slower than they can self, I don't know, self-navigate themselves. It's just an idea. I I, I haven't seen anything like that. That would be a cool experiment to run and see, um, you know, you could probably use some basic web analytics there to understand like how many people actually take the the slower option. Yeah. Yeah. so you're, you're right, though, like going back to your original point, like we, we do spend a lot of time in basics courses, um, just educating people about very basic software functionality that everyone has when really it's not that you shouldn't talk about those things, but it's it's probably more helpful to frame it in terms of a job that that those features are actually helping people get done and to focus on some of the more unique uh, aspects and, and use cases surrounding your product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, for the next for the next stage, it's like that intermediate those intermediate courses that often end up bloated, and there's so much content there. And my opinion is that there really shouldn't be very much content that's classified as intermediate. Um, and again, it, it, I believe it's because of that holistic approach, like. We think that we want to teach everybody all of the different fringe cases and things like that that appear inside a course. But in reality, for second level features, a lot of them are going to be for specific use cases. And a lot of them are going to be exceptions that not everybody are going to run to or run into. And so my proposal is that intermediate courses, if they exist, should be about horizontal topics that are applicable to most everyone and every once in a while a feature that's difficult to understand so an example in miro would be oh well here is um a lesson on shortcuts or here's a lesson on like in the board shortcuts in the board that help people become really really good at creating things really quickly Um, tips and tricks like i don't know hold option and drag your mouse to duplicate an object Um, things like that, or it could be horizontal integrations like a cloud storage or a messenger integration with Slack. Those are things that could apply to everybody. And and when you say horizontal by that, you mean things that apply to to everyone who might be using it, not just people in specific like verticals or industries. Yeah, exactly. This is like that intermediate 
level, you because often, so again, to take my own <laughs> Miro as an example, I could tell you how the voting feature works. But in reality, the feature is, is you know, it's pretty easy to understand, but it's a much more powerful story if I tell you how it works within the context of retrospectives rather than just, or a brainstorming exercise, rather than just telling you this is how the voting feature works. Because in reality, it's in there to solve use case problems, not the general problem of collaborating with sticky notes on a whiteboard, things like that. Yeah, and you know, one thing that, that you're making me think as you're saying this as well is, is that a lot of the time, if you think about it from the user's perspective, um, we talked about from the user's perspective in a getting started guide or in the basics, you don't want to overwhelm them with too much content that they're, they're not yeah. going to want to use then. Because I do think a lot of the time when we're just thinking about, oh, we need to include this content and this content and this content, we're, we're kind of missing the point, which is that, you know, it's, it's what you said earlier, like, let's just get you enough to get in and to start to see value. But what happens once we get to intermediate? Well, instead of overwhelming them with a bunch of edge cases, which really, you know, you could be documenting in your help center or in support yeah. or even in product education. Well, instead should we really be focusing there on some of the things that you were originally teaching in your basics course? Because it's not just about mere exposure to those features. It's not just about me teaching you that uh, features A through G exist. Um, that's not really useful. But as someone gets more familiar with the product and they're ready to, to take an intermediate course, well, maybe then is, is time to start supplementing with some of those tips and tricks. Um, or maybe showing them different ways to become more productive with your product and do some things that yeah. they may actually be ready to hear at that point and say like, oh, now I understand why I should be doing that or, or why that's going to make me more productive by taking this shortcut or using uh, this voting feature. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I like how you framed it in your video, too. You were saying, you know, with, with the basics, it should be highly optimized. You should iterate. You should test out what goes in the basics and be very aggressive about keeping that to, uh, I think you said, about a 15-minute experience. And you used, a, you used Intercom I Getting hope, Started yeah. Guide. Go ahead. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I hope we've produced one iteration on our Getting Started course, and we've learned so much since then. And already it's gotten, you know, a lot of views on Vimeo and, and YouTube, and we're ready to iterate it coming in Q1. We're gonna produce some other content first. But my hope is that, you know, as as Miro becomes more sophisticated, every time there's a new feature released, we might learn that that feature drives initial retention. And if somebody starts using that feature, like the Slack integration is actually a really great example of this. So the Slack integration, we found that if somebody integrates with Slack, they have um, like five times higher retention than, than somebody who doesn't on average. So some, like, something like that could easily go into the getting started course or be mentioned and we can iterate on it because the things that we're teaching them in the very beginning can have a huge impact on the rest of the business if we can get people to activate faster. I like that too, because in, in a way that's still pretty scrappy and iterative, you're saying we're going to focus on the things that we actually have some data behind and that we know as a business will really help drive more meaningful adoption. And, and as you're doing that, you're also looking at it from a customer point of view and saying, well, 
if we know that these are the things that drive more stickiness and adoption, these are also the things that clearly our customers will will find helpful to to use and to know about if they're if they're exposed to those. Yeah. But you're not exposing them to everything. You're exposing them to the the use cases that are that are clear and that really uh, will will help them get value. I think you also talked about the Jira integration being a, a good example of that, right? Yeah, the Jira integration is is very sticky if people integrate with it. Um, but it is it's more complicated, so it could be maybe intermediate. Actually, well, I mean, maybe that's a good segue into where the majority of the content should, we hope, will be in the Miro Academy, which is, well, we hope it's going to be based off of solutions or personas. And this is, you see this in other academies, Optimizely does this really well, um, just to keep on referencing them. They have even one course on the experimentation evangelist. And it has this awesome description down the bottom. As an executive sponsor or leader on the team, you want to see the business impact and ROI optimizely experimentation is having on your business, though you don't expect to be hands-on with the tool. I just think that is such a useful description and value proposition of that course. And we hope to do the same thing with the Miro Academy, which is where the bulk of the content will be. So we're building our first um, like MVP of this style of course right now. It's gonna be on agile development in Miro. And it's gonna be very, it's, we're trying to make it very practical. Um, people in Miro, because the tool is pretty easy to use and um, it's very free form, people don't struggle with necessarily how a feature works, but how they, are, how they can use it. And so um, the this first version of the course, which is just, just gonna have three videos, three lessons to, to prove the concept of the course, will hopefully teach people how to apply in, in certain situations when they're um, doing agile methodology or agile principles, how they can use Miro to accomplish their goals. So really starting to get, as you get into that more advanced um, material, making sure that it's very relevant to what it is you're getting advanced in or who you are as you get advanced. So you're kind of going from that more like general, like horizontal, as you described it, um, things everyone should know just to get acquainted to things that are going to be more, more job relevant or task relevant. Yeah, exactly. Like at the end of the day for the Miro Academy, I don't see it being broken up into uh, basic intermediate advanced. It'll be one basic course, like, just a few intermediate style um, lessons that are based from the tools perspective, like this is what it does, that's it. But the majority of the content will be based off persona or use case, um, things that they're trying to do in the tool. And inside there, there will be a collection of intermediate and advanced features that are applied to a specific use case. The downside is that it might mean that we might unless we can come up with a really good way of doing it, but I think it's pretty hard, we might end up recreating a portion of a video that covers voting, just to keep on using that as an example. Um, we might end up having to re-record a, uh, a portion of a video that covers how to use the voting tool, but I think that's okay, because in design thinking, the background, what they're seeing that you're voting on might be... Um, the end of a brainstorming or maybe the end of some sort of affinity mapping um, 
process. But in agile development, you're voting on maybe the results of a retrospective, or you're using the voting tool to estimate the amount of work that um, a certain user story is going to do. And so although you're showing the same feature again in our case, I think it's worth the amount of work because the context is what makes the, t- the feature powerful, not just that the feature exists and that you can use it. Yeah, I think that's that's a really strong insight because the, the part of your brain that um, is kind of thinking about content efficiency really wants things to be modular as much as possible. And especially as programs get more mature and they get more locked into creating certain pieces of content for efficiency and content management reasons, um, I think they end up prioritizing the idea of, okay, the content's going to be as modular as possible. So when we talk about this feature, we talk about it in this video, and it's not going anywhere else so that if we update this feature, we only update this video. Um, but especially when you're when you're earlier on in your journey, or if you have the opportunity to think about things in more of a use case um, or job to be done framework, I think you're absolutely right that it could be a really interesting way to see, you know, even if this is not as efficient, quote unquote, um, it's going to have more customer impact because you are showing them a use case that they can pick up, and it's going to do it's going to do the job it should be doing to drive customer adoption, right. not just be the most efficient way to manage your content. Are there, um, are there other things that you're thinking about as you're building out your academy or other things that you want to experiment with? Um, yeah, the, the other things that we're thinking about right now um, has to do with the impact on the community that we're going to be able to provide. So we're building out a Miro community. Because again, Miro isn't hard to use, but it's difficult for people who don't visually think or who aren't. Um, used to being in a freeform environment to imagine how they can use a freeform tool to accomplish their goals. And so a lot of the jobs that we need to do as content creators on the Miro side is to getting people to see examples and see how other people are doing it just so that people have permission to move forward. Because some people feel like they are doing it wrong if they're coming up with it on their own. And so it's just a matter of helping the community um, uh, come up with ideas on how to solve certain problems with Miro. So as customer education, when we launch somebody who's been able to finish some sort of certification or quiz, we want to push them back into the, the online community so that they can be very knowledgeable participant and, uh, and contribute there. Yeah, that's great. That reinforces uh, social learning. And I also think that you're you're right to say that with um, you know with collaboration tools especially or or really any any sort of tool that's a, kind of a multiplayer not a single player experience that sometimes when you have that that blank slate in front of you it's really hard to visualize what it is that you you should be doing with others in there and when you're first given that blank slate or slam, sandbox environment you're like oh my gosh I don't know what I should be doing in here and then you kind of get scared and run off so helping yeah. helping people visualize and learn from others um, becomes so important. Yeah, the two other things that we're most excited about um, doing in in 2020 is one, we're hoping to make the academy courses available in the application itself. I'm not, I mean, I I understand the the power of the LMS itself, but I don't, I, I think if we can put it inside the actual product so people don't have to leave in order to learn, that's always gonna be preferable. So there's a couple of vendors that allow you to to do that, and so they can have the uh, 
the learning experience right inside the app. So we're very excited about that. Um, and then the other one is experimenting with recurring training webinars. This has to do with directly helping our customer success managers scale, I think. We're hoping that for our lower potential customers, the ones that we don't want to spend as much time with, sorry, uh, we want to allow our CSNs to not have to do trainings with them every single onboarding or every time some new group of users joins that account. We want to be able to push them to a recurring webinar series and also use that as a testing ground for later e-commerce material and things like that. Very cool. Well, I'm really excited to see what it is that you uh, you end up building. Please share it when when you do. Um, I know that you're you're also active in our our customer education community, so I'll look forward to to seeing what you share there. Um, anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we uh, we wrap up? No, I I'm really excited. I hope I hope uh, is valuable. I'm still new, so you can take everything I've just said with a huge grain of salt. <laughs> well, that's, let me, that's my last goodbye thing. <laughs> uh, just discredit yourself at the, at the very end. No, I actually want to say just to to wrap this up that the position that you're in and the things that you're experimenting with are things that a lot of people in our field. Um, you know, even people who have been doing this for a little while are still experimenting with. And one of the reasons why we do this podcast is to help people who are are thinking about these things know that they're not alone and that other people are thinking about it. So, you know, I think any anything that you think should be taken with a grain of salt, there are hundreds of others, maybe thousands of others. I don't know how many, how many people are out there who, uh, who will end up listening to this, but, um, who are, who are in the same position and who are really thinking, how is it that I, I should be approaching this? Um, and so for those folks, you're not alone. Um, and with that said, if you want to learn more, we have a podcast website at H T T T T T T T T P S customer.education. You know how URLs work. There's not that many T's in there, um, where you can find show notes and other material on Twitter. I am at Evermescue. Uh, Matt, how can people find you? Uh, I would love people reach out to me on the Slack community, or you can just email me at matt at miro.com. That's, that's totally fine as well. All right, matt at miro.com, or you can go to customereducation.org to join the customer education community. A special thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music, and special thanks to Matt for joining us today. I really appreciated talking with you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. And listeners, if this helped you out, you can help us out by subscribing in your podcatcher of choice anywhere where fine podcasts are found or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those two things really help our podcast and uh, help expose it to other people. So thanks for joining us. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. (laughs) Thanks for listening.